0: Have you ever seen someone do something and thought, I could totally do that, when in reality you most certainly could not do that? It could be something simple like riding a bike or something more complex like being the concert master in the orchestra. You've seen someone do it and they make it look so easy, but it's really extremely difficult. I've had those moments in my marriage, in my parenting, in my career, in my faith, and I bet you've had them too. When I think of Peter, I think of someone who makes it look easy. His love for Christ looks easy. His heart for God looks easy. His obedience looks easy. But looks can be deceiving. It's easy to forget what Peter has endured when he begins this chapter in 1 Peter. Blessed or blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, originally named Simon, was one of the original 12 disciples who witnessed Jesus' ministry and miracles on earth. When Jesus met Simon, he named him Cephas, or Cephas, which means rock in Aramaic. The Greek word for rock is Petros, and that is how we get Peter. Different languages and translations, but today we will reference him by the name Peter. First Peter was likely written around 60 to 70 AD, which would have been about 35 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. In proximity and partnership, Peter was with Jesus. He was chosen He was called and he was faithful. Peter was present for Jesus' miracles and his healings and Jesus healed his mother-in-law. That's one that he got to be present for. He traveled with Jesus, he protected Jesus. He witnessed the transfiguration. When Christ walked on water, who got out of the boat and walked to him? Peter, even if only for a few moments. But we know that the story doesn't end there. Even though Peter was a witness, and testified of Christ's divinity, he saw these things with his own eyes. He still denied Christ three times. And Jesus knew he would because he told him so, as is referenced in John chapter 13. Peter, as flawed as he was, was called by Christ to build his church, to serve others, to preach the gospel. That's hopeful for us. He doesn't pick perfect people because there are no perfect people. Peter was able to carry on because he had a living hope. Peter was able to carry on because he didn't rely only on what his eyes had seen, but what his heart had experienced. When we look only with our eyes, we tend to miss things. We must engage our minds and engage our hearts and engage our spirits if we want to experience a living hope. So Christians during this time were experiencing persecution. Peter's own friend, James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded for preaching Christ's teachings. Christ's disciples, including Peter, were beaten and imprisoned for spreading the message of Christ. They've endured hardship and grief and loss. How is it? that Peter, after all that has transpired, begins his letter with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be normal for him to feel fearful or embittered or honestly just exhausted? Like Peter, we have lives full of mixed emotions and experiences. We know joy and pain. We know courage and fear. We know love and we know loss. But do we have a living hope or a withering faith? Peter had a living hope and we can too. When talking with Dr. Longbons about this sermon, he said, The Christian faith is not one without suffering or hardship. In fact, we take seriously that we will face challenges. Trials shape us. One of the reasons we can get through them is because we have faith, and we see through a lens of hope. Hope is deeper than positive thinking. Hope animates our inward being and carries us through difficulty. What is hope? What is it? An expectation and desire for certain things to happen? A feeling of trust? The Christian hope is a confident expectation that God is faithful and will finish what he has begun It's an enthusiastic expectation for the fulfillment of God's promises and God's purposes. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever. Peter has been preaching of Jesus Christ being the forerunner, the high priest, and the living hope. And he is writing this letter as a source of encouragement for the early churches, because it was hard out there. There's been a rapid expansion of the early church in Asia Minor. And Peter is speaking to these Gentile Christians about being a community, about their mission, and about their suffering. Because these were very real issues that these groups were facing. He speaks of their suffering and the genuineness of their faith. Their suffering and the genuineness of their faith. Genuine, authentic, real, actual, true, genuine. Hmm. Suffering can produce a few reactions in our relationships with God, one of which is to pull away, and the other is to draw nearer. honestly, pulling away makes sense. I absolutely understand why when we face hardship and grief and loss, we can have the urge to pull away. Maybe we have thoughts like, God could have prevented this, God could have changed this, God could have stopped this, that's hard. And because we did not receive the outcome that we wanted, we think, why? Why bother? I get it. And in contrast, there were early Christians and Christians today that endured terrible circumstances and tragedies and still trust God and proclaim the goodness of his mercy and cling to salvation with an indescribable joy. Is that what genuine faith looks like? Maybe. I think it can look like both. Because we can love God and still be in pain. Because we can believe that Christ died for us and still have trouble getting out of bed in the morning. Maybe it's less important for us to decide which one we currently are, the one pulling away or drawing near, and instead, begin viewing our lives right now, today, through the lens of a living hope. Peter goes on to tell the Gentile Christians he's writing to, knowing that they have experienced trials, suffering, and persecution, that a living hope comes from God's mercy. It comes from God's mercy through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Christ triumphed the cross, over death and over evil, and we have the gift of partaking in an inheritance that cannot and will not perish or fade. Everything else perishes, everything else fades over time. When you think about an inheritance, maybe you're like me, things come to mind like money or clothing or jewelry or property or a home or a car or something, things that tend to lose value over time, or become worn or fade, things that perish. But our inheritance, an eternal life with our Creator and Savior, a life of worship and peace and joy with our God never fades, never. And that is worth hoping for. In verses eight and nine, Peter says, although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We can see something and still not believe it. Faith and hope and joy and love are not about sight. They're matters of the heart. That is where they live. And that is where they are tested. We read the word faith three times in just seven verses. And if we know anything about repetition, particularly in the Bible, we know that it's used for emphasis to denote significance. It's important. Pay attention, right? Peter saw Christ, but the Christians that he's writing to didn't. We haven't, and yet, they, like us, love him and believe in him. Our faith pushes us onward to a life of joy and a life of hope and a life of salvation. Paul Tillich suggests salvation is derived from salvas meaning healthy or whole, And it can be applied to every act of healing, to the healing of sickness, of demonic possession, and the servitude of sin, and to the ultimate power of death. Last week we celebrated Christ's conquering of death. Death has no power over him, which for Christians means has no power over us, means eternal life. And this week we are celebrating the indescribable joy of the present moment. The joy of loving and believing in an invisible Christ. Joy in the suffering that comes with stretching ourselves to grow and nurture a genuine faith, because it can be really difficult. It takes a lot of work. And finally, we celebrate the gift of a living hope an anchor of our soul, a true and deep faith that has changed us and is still changing us, and if it hasn't yet, it will, so that we can experience a life, a life of wholeness and joy and hope and peace with our God. God bless you.